Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Welcome, empaths, to the show. We're so happy to have you here with us this week. We're going to be discussing a very in-depth, interesting topic, and that is soul retrieval. And I think as empaths, many of us have had some sort of traumatic loss, either emotionally, physically, that's taken a deep toll on who we are and how, how we are trying to get through our lives. And a lot of people believe that these type of events, a part of our soul or essence leaves the body to survive. So you shut down a little bit. You, that little piece of you in that fight or flight time of, of extreme trauma will remove a little bit, will step back. And, but it's a protective thing to help us keep healthy, balanced mentally, physically, and spiritually. So there is a belief that our higher self stays on the other side. Have you, do you ascribe to that belief? Yes. Okay. So if you think of your higher self on the other side, and then just a, a part of you reincarnates to earth to experience this lifetime as this personality, when we lose pieces of our soul, where do those lost pieces go? Right. And that's, and, I think what we're going to be looking at and talking about this week. Yes. Yes. And this goes way, way back. This isn't a new concept and it's People, I mean, being open-minded, but even if you, maybe we should just start out with what kind of trauma could cause this level of soul loss. And again, it, it makes perfect sense that it depends. So something that happens to me that is devastating, uh, uh, incredible shock to my system, to someone else, it may be, well, that wasn't that big a deal. So you have to look at, even if someone else doesn't feel or recognize a trauma or shock that you've gone through, it doesn't make it any less or any more because it's a very personal thing. Yeah, that's a really great, great point. But some types of trauma that can result in soul loss include any kind of abuse. So we're talking sexual abuse, physical abuse, but also emotional abuse, being in an accident. And that makes sense because it's so jarring and sudden. Mm -hmm. being in a war, being victims of a terrorist act, uh, being in a natural disaster, having surgery, going through an addiction, divorce, death of a loved one, or acting against our morals. Right. You know, that's a really wide range of things. But when we, I think we've all had those situations where we've just stood in shock saying what's happened here and whether it has been an accident or a loss or grief or whatever. And that this whole thing with soul retrieval is that a little part of us goes into protection mode and we can go and find that piece. So if we were looking at this from a traditional psychological approach, it would be referred to as disassociation. As empaths, we feel everything so deeply. So we're going to incorporate all of that into every essence of who we are. So if we lose a little piece of ourselves, or if we have such a trauma that impacts us on such a strong level in all aspects, from the psychology point of view, they might look at more as it's all in your mind. And that disassociative disorder is seen as a break in how your, your, your mind handles the information. 
So you might feel disconnected from your thoughts or your feelings, your memories. It can also affect your sense of self and, and even your perception of time. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like if you've ever had to, God forbid, be in the hospital, either yourself or with an injured or sick loved one, that time in the hospital feels like years, even though it may be weeks or months. You ever notice that? Yes. Yes. And it all blends together and you don't know what day of the week it is or what time of the day it is. And it's a, a very, very, very unsettling feeling. Yeah. And if you've ever gone through a trauma, you might have a hard time recalling other events that occurred around that traumatic time Mm -hmm. because you're just kind of in that protective mode. Like you're talking about where you're just getting through the days and you're, you're focusing on that traumatic event only. Sometimes if you're, again, we're talking about disassociation, you might feel foggy or confused, detached, have a hard time retrieving memories or information, um, maybe some behavioral changes unexpectedly, some shifts in mood. You can even have some physical symptoms of, you know, dulled senses or pain, feeling very empty or pounding heart, or if you're feeling really lightheaded or dizzy, those can all be aspects as well. Of the panic um, attacks come into that? I think so. Okay. I think a hundred percent. So from a traditional therapy approach, which so that's what we, I mean, I, I love that we look at all the modalities, Samantha. We don't just say, oh, you have to do woo-woo or you have to do juju. No, it's similar to you. May you do an alternative healing method before you go to a traditional doctor, but it doesn't make one or, or we're not advocating either way. We're saying do what's best for you and we're not promoting or condoning anything. One is better or worse than another. But traditionally, disassociation would be treated or you'd go to get professional guidance from a therapist. You might go through cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy. So these are often seen as the best option for meaningful long-term improvements in, in how, to, how to get through the trauma, the loss, the grief, the, the separation from self. Yeah, I think that's so important that you mentioned that it's not one or the other. Sometimes it can be all of these things that we're going to talk about together. But what I would like to emphasize is making you and your healing a priority. Because I know when I've gone through traumatic situations in my life, I've had a hard time with that because I'm so focused on helping my family or, or helping the person going through a traumatic situation that you can often forget about you. Or if you're the one going through the traumatic thing, look at your pattern of how you typically deal with those stressful events. Do you avoid it? Do you numb yourself from it? Do you focus on other practical things? And maybe just listening to this show can be a good reminder of, oh, wow, I think I've been through that before, or mm -hmm. holy crap, I think I'm going through that now. And it can just be a reminder to make you a priority and make your healing counterpoint in your life, the most important thing right now for you. That's an excellent, excellent point. And basically what we're saying is your mind knows what it can handle and what it can't handle. And sometimes we'll go into that, that mode of its protection, its survival mechanism of if you've ever had someone that you love, something severe happens to them and you immediately go into, I, I don't have a strong uh, stomach for 
you know, blood and gore and that kind of things. But if one of my children was hurt when they were little, I could immediately go into mode and shut it off and be there and be present. Same thing with different things throughout my professional career, because there was something in my mind that would trigger and say, okay, shut it off, go through this. You're going to, you have to step up. So I think that can also go if we experience such an intensity or such a trauma or, or something that impacts us, there is a part of our mind that's going to say, uh oh, hit safety mode. And animals do this all the time. Think about when animals were like, oh, I'm going to play dead. They won't know. They won't see me now. They use that freeze response to play dead so that they can save themselves and not be detected as prey. So it's the same damn thing with what we're talking about is we shut off a little piece of ourselves. But the point being, sometimes you can shut it off and then not go back and pick it up. And that's what we're talking about today is how to retrieve that part, how to bring it back in and add that fullness back into your life. You know, I read something on Pinterest. Sometimes Pinterest just throws up stuff in my feed and I'm like, really today? I did not need to see this. (laughs) And it said the emotional trauma you experienced as a child or teen is where you stopped growing. And I really resented seeing that. I don't think that's true. Do you? Well, see, this is interesting. I had this conversation with someone recently about addiction. So if someone has is in recovery, you pick up where you left off from when you first started to use. So if your chronological age was mid-teens when you started to abuse substances and then you stop, you have to emotionally pick up where you left off in your mid-teens. That's where you're going to be stuck. So I don't know about the trauma thing. I think that this, what we're talking about today ties into that because think about the inner child work. We've all heard of that and you can do inner child work and you can retrieve that part of yourself and nurture that. This is very similar to me. Yeah, it is to me too. And, you know, there's a lot of expressions floating out in the ethers that I also don't like. One of them is you can have your cake and you can't have your cake and eat it too. That always bothers me because who the hell wants cake if you're not going to eat it? (laughs) The other one that really bothers me is, oh, don't worry. Kids are resilient. Don't you, don't you hate that phrase? I, I do. I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not no. a fan. Kids no. are not resilient. <laughs> you just have to go on. And so one thing I think is, is important to take away from this episode is that even if you're 60, 70, 42, and, and your emotional trauma where you think a piece of your soul kind of just went off and hid happened when you were four or five. That doesn't mean, oh, well, that was so far back in the past. There's nothing I can do about it. Time is irrelevant when we're talking about emotional healing. That's interesting because if we go back historically, and we're going way, way back. We're not going back, you know, before iPhones. We're we're talking many, 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 many uh, years ago is when it was more villages. There wasn't technology. There was a healer in the village. And you can give that healer any name. But if you think back to that time frame, there was someone that was a healer, an herbalist, uh, maybe a shamanic practitioner or a shaman, a medicine person. There was always someone in community that everyone went to when something happened. So if there was a trauma they would have addressed it right away. They would have done a soul retrieval or a herb or a healing or a, they, it would have been within the first few days. But then now, since we've stepped away from that world where we're so interconnected with nature and everything that is, we might 
be in the place where we're trying to retrieve something or or revisit something from our childhood or the, our early 20s or you know it, and so i think that that's important to remember we've it, this has always been a part of humanity it's just we might not have dealt with it in the same way as it would have been done in different uh timelines you know that's so important because this idea of soul retrieval crosses so many cultures and times and we have gotten so far away from it and this is such a such a minute frivolous example that in my microsoft word it does not recognize soul as a word s o u l oh it comes up on spell check every time and i've asked the person who helps me with my website i've asked her to fix it and she can't like you know you can add a word it won't let us it's the weirdest thing it's like microsoft what do you have against the soul but <laughs> i feel like in the world you and I live in, if we talk about soul retrieval, people are like, oh, yeah, I, I did a soul retrieval journey. And it, but in most people's worlds, that this isn't even a thing they they contemplate. You know, it's just not in the vernacular of our of our current society. And, and I think that's that's kind of sad. And I think that's why we wanted to add in. If you feel like I know there was a traumatic event, you know what it is, you remember it, it's keeping you stuck on a loop tape and you say, I'm going to go and talk to a therapist. I'm going to go have cognitive therapy. I'm going to have that, that if that feels real and true for you, by all means, please, please follow what feels best, but you might get the same results by a lot of people have amazing, amazing healing with meditation and guided visualization. And you could go back and revisit that time, or you could go into with your work as a, a dream person, is it something you could address and, and go to in a dream visitation and really go back and get? But there are so sure. many other I mean, ways. The, the ancient Greeks called it dream incubation. Mm -hmm. And that is something that they would do. You know, I do think that there are signs throughout our life of where our soul retrieval loss occurred. And I think it's important to mention some little clues or signs people can look to for that because. I'm sure for most of us, we could be like Samantha. I don't. I don't need clues. Like I know what the I know what the trauma <laughs> is, right? But for some people, it might be a little bit different. I have a really good friend who got divorced years and years ago. Like her kids were babies, and they had a very amicable divorce. I know that's an oxymoron, but you know, as divorces go, it was pretty amicable, and there was some resentment, but for the most part, they were very, very friendly. And something occurred with finances between the, the kids and the parents. And she had a little talk to with her former husband. And she called me and she said, this was 18 years ago. And I'm on the phone with him. And that rage was boom, right back there. And Ooh. she said to me, where has it been all these years? I have not felt that all these years. Where, where am I storing it? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such a good question. Do you ever have something in your own life that happens and it just triggers like a knee-jerk response and you're like, oh, where have you been? Okay. Especially if you feel like you've dealt with it. Yeah. If, if you feel like, okay, you know, oh, I'm proud of myself. I've done my work. That doesn't bother me anymore. And then unexpectedly, it reaches in and kind of tweaks your heart a little bit or punches you in the stomach and says, nope, we're still here. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's hard to discern where that actually goes and and 
when do you know that it's been fully healed or that you've retrieved all parts of it back into yourself? I've read that if you can talk about a painful event in your life without getting emotional, it means you've healed from it. And I do think there's some truth to that, but not a ton. But I, I think too is from, from my own personal experience. So I'm not making this a blanket statement is when I don't feel resentful or I don't feel anything about it anymore. So if there was something that was uh, tumultuous or difficult or a person or a situation and you keep replaying it, replaying it, and then all of a sudden you wake up and say, wow, I just don't really care about that anymore. I think that's a good sign. Yeah, I do think that's a good sign. Maybe healing is just a process and maybe soul retrieval is a process as well. I haven't come across any spiritual modality that's a one and done. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. And, and also the, the whole thing of, we, we talk a lot about, or you and I talk about this a lot about the mind body connection with how things will manifest physically in our body. If we're not dealing with it emotionally or spiritually, it will take a root. And there's a lot of research to support that. But sometimes if some common symptoms of this soul loss, or maybe what might be not feeling fully in your body or fully alive and engaged in life, feeling incomplete. If you're suffering from chronic depression, and again, we are not talking if you have a physiological reason for that. Again, we're not medical people. That's not what we're saying. A PTSD can be a big trigger. If you're having immune deficiency problems, grief that you can't get over. And I I think it's so sad. And I've known people in my life that 10, 20, 25 years later, they're still in that same place of grief as when they first lost someone or when a situation ended. And I always feel so very sad to think you've just given away all of these years of your life being stuck in that place. That's so sad to me. It is so sad. And it's hard to, it's hard to bear witness to that. It is, you know, sometimes feeling out of control or like something's missing in your life. Those can all be things that Hey, maybe there is something I need to go looking for here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's all, it's all on a, on a circle, a continuum of, of this roller coaster, you know, grief is a roller coaster. Um, addiction is a roller coaster an inability to move forward. You know, when your life feels like two steps forward, one step back. So again, I don't think these are any concrete symptoms. I think it's on, on a spectrum. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I really do. And I think it depends a lot too on your personal, the way you're constructed. So if your default position is I'm going to shoulder through this and I'm going to figure out a way to deal with this by myself, you might do it through breath work or again, the visualization through plant medicine, through something that is going to help you achieve an altered state of consciousness. If you're a very private person that would have a hard time sharing this, I'm not discounting getting professional help in some form or another, but there are ways to to do this and cultivate that compassion for yourself that would also be a, a healing tool in helping remove an old block or an old soul loss. What about people who have trauma in their life and they wear it like a badge of courage? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Where it, yes. 
it defines their whole life. And it's, it's like, you look at them and you think, oh, they're never letting this go because it's, it's just their cape. They're wearing it around their shoulders all the time. And then there's those people who have serious trauma and they just tuck it away, push it down and move forward. And they never look at it, talk about it. To me, those are two ends of the, of the pole. What, what do you Mm -hmm. think? I agree. And that's, that's exactly the direction I was just going with is you have to, with everything we're talking about, you have to say, how do I deal with it? How do I look at things? And and I, I'm not being disrespectful with this, but the whole martyr syndrome of look what I've done, look what I've put up with, look what I can, I've had to shoulder through. And that's that's a persona, that's an archetype, that's a something to identify with. But yeah. But I think there has to come a part in your life, a point in your life where you say, you know, that was then, this is now type of thing. And yeah. and you and you let it go. So with soul retrieval with a person like that, would they call it back and then heal it to let it go? Do you know what I'm asking? Possibly. Yes, possibly. Because this is, if you think about it, a lot of times what we're talking about is going to show up as, you know, stereotypically said as a shadow self, that part of you that's locked away so deep inside that you, you know, that dark side that you, when you feel scared or embarrassed or angry or unnerving, you know, but that's, that's inside all of us, positive or negative. And I think that that's also an indicator of those things that are, uh, that cause those reactions in us or that are our hidden self. Are those also an indicator of a part of ourselves that we've tucked away to protect because we were hurt so deeply. Yeah. It can be a cultural thing too. You know, my, my former father-in-law was a captain of the New York city fire department and there's a little wall in, in a back room of their house where his wife had hung all these awards he won for being severely injured in fires. Oh, and so, you know, me, <laughs> When I met him, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. What was that like? What you were in that big, like all these like historic fires you hear about from the seventies, like he was in those. And, and I would ask him all these questions. It was, it was what it was. That's all I got mm-hmm. was what it was. And then my kids came along and they were like, oh, pop up. What was it like riding a fire truck? How many times were you in the hospital? Can we, and he just will not talk about it. And you know. I learned and I taught my kids to learn to just respect that, you know, because you don't want to ever push someone. But to me, he's such a guy's guy, you know, that I almost feel like that was his cultural belief of men don't talk about that. But that was generational too. Generational. That might be a better yeah. word. Thank you. Because I, I was talking to someone, oh, years ago, who was a World War II vet. And he was telling me all these stories. It was really kind of a cool story because he used to, this old man used to walk by the house. And one of my sons was really into aircraft and all that kind of stuff for a while, could name all the planes, the different missions, all these things. And this man had been, and he just started talking to my son, my son was out mowing the yard or something. And he started talking to him one day when he was walking by and he was telling him that he was an aircraft mechanic in World War II. And then they became kind of acquaintances. And when the man would walk by, he'd stop and talk to Sam. And then he brought him all this information that he had from, you know, World War II that he had kept. 
you know, and it's, I love, love, love when there's an intergenerational connection where, I mean, my son must've been maybe 12 at the time he was a kid. And this man was, was much, much, much older, but they had this interesting uh, camaraderie, but he said, well, we didn't talk about that stuff like the kids do today, meaning like Vietnam vets or uh, desert storm, or even if you go back to the, the Korean conflict area, the Korean war, that was still in that generation of don't talk about it. Ugh, which just, I understand it. I do. And I think sometimes with trauma, you have to do what you have to do in that moment to survive that moment. You know, I know AA talks about day by day, but I think sometimes when you're in that, that trauma and, and the river, you know, the echoes of it, sometimes it's moment by moment, not day by day. Right. right. So right. no judgment on that. But when I taught at the community college, uh, I had so many veterans in my classes mm-hmm. and young and, and old. And we always did a lot of creative writing and the healing that would come out of them being able to share their stories. It's just, it's amazing. It's profound. And so I do think, you know, that, that old saying, that's a saying I do agree with a grief shared is a grief halved, right? You know, that it is so important to, to talk about that. You know what that reminds me of is when either in a reading or with a friend or in a conversation, when someone says, I've never said that to anyone before, or I've never shared that before. I think that's a real honor that someone feels safe enough and comfortable enough with you to to do that. But that can be a big indicator of a piece of you that you need to, to revisit is if it's something that you've kept so deeply protected, hidden, or because it's usually a pretty deep-rooted event. Or So have you had that happen with either in readings or with friends when they'll share something that, and they'll use that term, I've never said this to anyone else before? Yes. Yes. And I think a lot of empaths listening are probably nodding their heads because I think that's something that happens to a lot of empaths because others are sensing our you know, our, our understanding, our willingness to hold space with them in a, in right. a judgmental, loving, accepting way. I think that's one of the gifts of being empathic. All the ways that we've, we've mentioned to, to, to find those missing pieces, to get more connected with yourself. You can also visit a, a shaman, a shamanic practitioner, and we are not appropriating. We are not saying anything against any culture. We're talking the very basics of you can go to someone who has this background and expertise who can do a journey and go in and help you find that part. So if you went to someone who is, and and this is one of my, you know what I almost said, I said, this is one of my bugaboos. I haven't said that in years and years and years, is that please be cautious about who you do this level of work with, because I think that as much as you'd go to someone who is trained in any field or modality, this is one that you really have to be cautious. And I mean, you have to do your research and and look at where they trained and who they trained with. Right. And know that you're, it's a vulnerable thing. So it has to be someone you trust. And I, there is a real absurgence right now in this type of work. And a lot of people are maybe taking a weekend similar to, I 
I did Reiki in a weekend and now I'm a practitioner. It To me, it's that same thing. You may have the basis of it, but does it make you the person that should be mucking around in other people's stuff? What happens if you actually went to a trained person is they're going to go into a meditative trance and do a journey and go in and help you find, they go into find that part of you. So they might go back and find that little girl who was abused or that little boy who was in the bad car accident or that teenager. They're going to find that aspect of you in a meditative journey and bring it back and help you reintegrate it back into your body now. And that sounds very woo, but it's if you think about how deep and old and traditional this is to all of us as humanity, no matter who you link back to, because we can't, no one can claim this. We're not talking Aborigine, Native American, uh, Nordic, Celtic. We're not picking and choosing. We're saying as humanity, we all have a, we all have a connection to this. So I've never done this, Denise. So tell me this, if I went to someone and said, you know, can we do this together while they're meditating and going into that journeying state, what would I be doing? Often what people will do is similar to um, having any kind of energy work done. So you would talk to the person, they would set the intention. This is what I want to do. The person who is going to go into that trance-like state is going to set the intention and you would be, so you would be just relaxing, like you would go to have energy work done okay. on a table. So I'm in a meditative state as well? Yeah, because often they'll use a drumbeat, rattle, something that's going to uh, produce that semi-hypnotic state, you know, that hypnagogic state and allow you to go into that trance state. So you would be in that relaxed place as well. You can do this from a distance because I, I mean, I've, I've had these done and I, I've done them with people, but it's very, it's just so different than the other work we do. It's hard to explain. Okay. What if, I don't mean to like interview you right now. Okay. But I'm just curious. What if you did a soul retrieval on me and you found this little girl aspect of me and she, cause I was a very stubborn kid and I can picture you meditating and helping me out and the little kid in me going, no, I don't want to go. I've liked this little space I've built for myself. I'm very happy here. Have you ever had that happen or does that happen? And, and yes. what would, what yes, would... that be? And sometimes it will be that you have to negotiate to bring that part back or it's not ready to come back or the person needs to do other work here before they can bring that part back. So it's not always, oh, I'm just going to go grab that. Come on, come with me. We're going back now. It, it's not always that easy. <laughs> Where are these parts of ourselves? Are they on the astral planes? Are they in a different dimension? Okay. So then this goes, it seems like we we bring this up in a lot of shows lately, that time-space continuum. So really brief abridged version is there's a middle world, upper world, lower world, and you can travel between those realms in in a hypnotic trance state and find those places. A lot of times soul retrieval happens in that middle world. So it's it's basically a non-ordinary reality. If if so, where the the reality we're in, there's a counter. So 
similar to, and I have to giggle when I say this because now science is like, there's a parallel universe. And I think so many of us are saying, oh, really? Is there? Because we've already, <laughs> I mean, anyone that's an intuitive medium, uh, uh, energy healer works in this field, you know, there's more than just us in our flesh and bones. There, there has to be. So you go into a different realm and a different, um, yeah. So would most of these aspects of ourself be in the lower world? I think it depends on who you work with. I mean, what I've experienced and what a lot of people, you go in through the middle world to find those lost pieces or into the lower world. Yes. Okay. Okay. That is just fascinating. It is. And anyone that has done this work, it's just a different aspect of everything that we do because, I mean, you and I have been at this for a long, long time. And we've done a lot of different modalities and a lot of different experiences. But in reality, it all brings us back to source. Every damn bit of it is about reconnecting with source. Totally agree. All right. Now I have another question. When when I used to do Reiki on a regular basis with clients, I loved it when the new client would come in and they'd be like, I gotta, I gotta take off my shoes and do what? Yeah, lay on this massage table. I didn't sign up for a massage. No, no, it's not a massage. It's just hands-on healing and <laughs> explaining mm-hmm. it to them. And they were like, oh, I don't know. And they'd lay there and they'd be so stiff and, you know, they'd want to like cross their ankles and cross their arms protectively, which I totally get. And, and then I would do the Reiki on them and inevitably there was an emotional release and they would be so embarrassed. I don't, why am I crying? I don't know why I'm crying. Why, where did this come mm-hmm. from? And, and they would always feel it and they would, they would get up from the table and they would go, I don't know what the hell that was, but I feel lighter. I feel better. And I loved that feedback because it's just amazing to see what just intentional hands-on healing can do. So what would be some of the effects people feel after getting a soul retrieval? Is it similar to that where they, would they have an emotional response? Would they feel that sense of lightness? Yes. Yes. It's all, sometimes it can feel a sense of peace, a feeling of uh, being whole again, of uh, some, at times there can be a sense of vulnerability because you're reintegrating that energy back in, heightened energy, um, more clarity about yourself. But there's this very, um, what's the word? I, I, I don't, it just, it feels like it's, um, you're bringing back a part of yourself and it feels whole. Like a reunion or a homecoming? Yeah, well, kind of, yeah. But almost of, um, you know, a lot of times when I'm doing readings and what they'll show me is someone looking in a mirror. And if the mirror is cloudy, it means someone's not recognizing their full self or they're not seeing all parts of themselves. But when they show me, like in when spirit shows me clearing the mirror, it means they're seeing those aspects of themselves again. And I, I feel like that's that's similar to this. So if if you think about it, if you had a devastating loss as a small child, you lost a parent or there was a divorce or you you were uh, injured or had a debilitating medical and that's been on hold and you bring back that healed part again. You're also bringing back that joy of that five-year-old that might have been tapped down. You're bringing back that sense of curiosity and wonder and wholeness. So it's going to bring back those aspects of who you are that might have been dulled a little bit. If anyone's had a, a done a past life regression or 
uh, gone into any type of hypnotic state or anything like that. This is very, very, very similar. So it's bringing the light back to the person. Yeah. Yeah. Sign me up. That sounds wonderful. (laughs) You know what I'm thinking as you're talking? I feel that a lot of us have lost some of this aspects of ourselves during this whole COVID shutdown. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're just coming to terms with what that loss meant to you? I, sometimes I feel that way. I, and I think for the empaths in the group that are natural introverts and may tend to prefer being alone more so and was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I could. But now it's the world is opening up and we're supposed to socially integrate again. Not so easy. Yeah, but there's that. But I, I just feel like the world is trying to heal. And, and I feel like, oh, yes, I feel like we empaths. I, I don't know. I don't have words for it. I feel like we touched. Or or the the pain of the world touched empaths, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I felt this sense of of disconnect during that whole time. I don't mean within myself. Because, yeah, I mean, not a whole lot changed in in my world, right? I mean, I still work for myself and I still, you know, all of that. But just that sense of disconnect and and lack of social community and connection, mm-hmm. I just feel like the world is finally starting to see what that did to us as a collective. And I don't. Oh, my gosh. I- does the earth need a soul retrieval? <laughs> well, I think that when we do this level of work, it does cause healing for each other and for the earth. That's my own personal belief. And I do, I do think that where, where the earth is and humanity is trying to purge and that's part of this. And that's again, my own personal opinion. Yeah. No, Um, I agree. But the other part is if you're feeling like you'd like to experience this, you can, there's a, a, or you want more information. There are a couple of really, really good books. There um, Sandra Ingerman is an amazing, amazing person. She, you know, is, is a, trained as a counselor, as a psychotherapist, as all these other things, but she's also one of the most renowned people in this work. And her book is Soul Retrieval, Mending the Fragmented Self, an amazing, amazing book and resource. And also uh, Mending the Past and Healing the Future with Soul Retriever by Alberto Valaldo is another great book. If you're looking for a practitioner that's in your area, you can go to shamanism.org and there's a lot of beautiful resources based on the work of Michael Harner, who's also renowned in this field. Then there's a list of certified uh, shamanic practitioners listed on this site. If you Google people, like go with your gut on this and be just, I, I think my concern is go to someone that you feel comfortable with, that you feel confident in and that you feel like you can be safe with. Yeah. Trust your instincts in your intuition. Yes. So it's a lot of information, but it's another thing to think about and another direction of there's so much more than what we see with our eyes. And when you open up to that, I think that's when we can connect with a part of ourselves. Oh, I know what I wanted to share. I think this is cool as hell. So I was uh, reading for a thing I was doing the other night, and 
I was listening, and actually, it was what triggered the the memory here was the Alberto Falaldo. Is he was talking about above our head is the eighth chakra, and I had never ever heard this before, but I thought it was fascinating as hell. And he said that's where your soul resides, and he said, and and based on old shamanic uh, knowledge practices, indigenous tribal fill in the blank with what word is more comfortable for you. He said when we when we die, everything, all seven chakras upload to that eighth chakra. So when our physical body dies, we upload everything to that eighth chakra. And that's that in-between state of, um, you know, life between lives and world and how we, we uh, in between incarnations, we have all that knowledge. So we know where to go next, where our soul family, what do we need to work on in the next lifetime? And then when we're born, it downloads into that new shell. Don't you think that's interesting as hell? That is interesting. And it makes a lot of sense. Because I've never been able to figure out, because that logical part, how do we, similar to the question you asked a few minutes ago of, where does it go? Is there another realm? Is there another dimension? Is it floating around in the ethers? And I've always wondered, well, how do we hold on to, I did a regression with someone yesterday. It was just really a cool experience, but we talked about that after how did her, what essence in her knew to go back to that time frame and find those memories. It had to be held somewhere in her soul. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and this is way off topic and we don't have time for this, but it, it this is making me think about earthbounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, what if some ghosts that people see and interact with aren't ghosts? Right. What if they're fragments of, you know, this soul loss? I was listening to um, the paranormal podcast, you know, with Jim Harold, mm-hmm. and he was telling a story that Lloyd Auerbach had told him about a haunting that kept occurring in a house where a man had murdered someone and they kept seeing whoever moved into that house would see that murderer attacking, you know, someone they'd see glimpses of this. And so when Lloyd Auerbach went to investigate and did research, that murderer was alive and well in prison. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a ghost they were seeing listening to that. And I was like, well, maybe, you know, houses have energy. So maybe the house went through trauma witnessing that. I don't know. And maybe it's a stone tape theory. But now I'm thinking, what if a piece of, you know, his soul broke off doing that awful act? And Mm -hmm. it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. It's just making my head spin. Like I, (laughs) I wish it weren't early in the morning. I need like a glass of wine or something to process this. That's a whole nother thing. But the eighth chakra idea is is beautiful. There hasn't been a whole lot of research done into that eighth chakra. So I love that you've given me someone else to research and, and look into. But yeah, you would, it would make sense that we would have unconsciously or subconsciously knowledge of where all of this is. Yeah. And and he he said it just when it downloads and it just stays. It's kind of like this empty golden orb egg around the, you know, up right above. And then, you know, it fills up again. But then the ninth above that is that 
uh, that uh, collective connection. So, you know, we've talked about this is raise your vibration, open up your crown chakra, lift up your energy. You're going right in through that ninth chakra, which is opening up to the whole collective of spirit and all the realms. Well, and this is why I think when people go through a spiritual awakening or start to recognize, hone, and honor their empathic intuitive gifts, it is often accompanied by this feeling of profound loneliness and emotional stuff coming to the surface. Mm -hmm. I think this is why, because you're lifting and raising your vibrations through that spiritual awakening. And I bet what we're doing is accessing these higher chakras to reclaim those pieces of ourselves because we can do soul retrieval on our own. Can't we, Denise? We can. Yes. But I think it, again, depends on the individual. It depends on the the depth of what is actually there. I, I mean, I my personal aside would be to lean towards someone who was trained in this, in this to, to help you, to guide your way. But I, I think all the other aspects that we mentioned, if those work for you, and you can, yes, if you're trained in how to journey, you could go and look for those pieces. But maybe having a non-judgmental guide Right. Who's not emotionally invested in it would be more helpful. Is that what you're saying? Right. So, okay. um, and you may, what's interesting is for people who are able to go into deep trance like states on their own, they may have done a spontaneous soul retrieval without even realizing it. So, we're, we're giving a name to something, but you might have experienced, oh my gosh, I was in this deep trance or, or deep meditative state and I had a vision of, when I was, you know, three years old and left, and I just went over and picked up this baby and said, come with me. If that happened to you in experience, to me, that would be a spontaneous soul retrieval that you, you you've, you've done it. You've had that experience. I, I don't see that you couldn't. I'm, I'm, I do think you could do it for yourself. Yes. But just as, as with anything we always say is, is be cautious and take care of yourself. Right. Right. That's so true. I just have to think about all of this. and <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a lot and it's a whole other, I think that's what we're, we're all opening up to there being so much more than what we may perceive. There's, there's, you just... know what, you know what I hope something that the course of miracles says all the time is that we live in an insane world and that this insane world is nothing more than a projection of our insane thoughts right? That oh yes, we just change our thoughts, then the world changes and blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't it be great if we could all focus on thinking about this, this world where like you go, let's say you're going through a traumatic moment and you have a panic attack and you go to your doctor and your doctor, maybe they prescribe you something. And maybe in addition to that, the doctor says, and here's a great cognitive behavioral therapist who is in your insurance plan that you might want to see. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Mm -hmm. And here's a wonderful person who is trained in soul retrieval. Yes. Wouldn't that be great if we could all just visualize that and put that out into the world? Because I really do think all of this should go hand in hand. I don't think, like you said at the beginning of the show, it should be one or the other. But I think that's starting to happen. I really do, because I've had, and I, I just feel so... Um, amazed and humbled by this, that people have been referred from medical doctors for a mediumship session or from their counselor or a funeral director said to someone that they sent me, you need to talk to a medium. 
And I think it's becoming a little more, we're starting to realize, and is it part of coming back to who we are as human beings? Because we're still those people that were the hunter-gatherers. There's still that, that little seed in us. Right. Right. Of course. But that's exciting that you're getting that, that feedback that everyone's connecting and starting to refer and think outside of the box. Right. It takes a village. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this show. Uh, I hope it's given you as much food for thought as it, as it has me. If you have questions or stories you'd like to share based on this, you can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. And and before I say take care, just remember you can pre-order Samantha's book. It's coming out on September 1st. You can find well, yes. And you can find it on any major bookseller or go to your book your local bookstore and they'll pre-order it for you. You can also see Deb and Samantha at the ARE in mid-August doing a presentation. So if you've always wanted to meet the psychic teachers, go to Virginia, they're going to be there. And now I'll say, take care. Denise, we're going to have to do a show on empaths and uh, public speaking. And <laughs> I'm having a very hard time promoting and talking about this. So thank you for saying that, but yeah, you can go to the Edgar, uh, Edgar Casey website and click events and see Deb and I give a talk on how to remember your dreams and use the dream state to expand your consciousness. It's in Virginia beach, August 12th to the 14th. Okay. So All right. everybody take care. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>